On Tuesday, Variety released its new cover. Looks like this. It's a picture of Hamilton's Brandon Victor Dixon. Yes, the guy who lectured Mike Pence while Pence was enjoying a night out with the wife. HBO's Lena Dunham, Michael Moore, Chelsea Handler, and CNN's Van Jones. They're all holding a large American flag, looking upset and somber, as you can see. Dunham wears a shirt that says, Women are powerful and dangerous, as she seems to hide behind the aging large Moore. Handler wears a shirt reading, Let's get to work. Now what? On the eve of Trump's inauguration, Hollywood and the media raise their voices, says the headline. Well, here's what. Please keep doing this, Hollywood celebrities. It will ensure that you continue to lose. First off, we should never be lectured by the likes of Lena Dunham, a self-described sexual abuser of her own sister, or Michael Moore, the guy who does propaganda about the glories of Cuba's health care. But more than that, Hollywood seems completely oblivious to the fact that their shrill hysteria over Trump's election actually drives Americans into Trump's camp. It's all obnoxious and overwrought. Here are just a few of the latest Hollywood idiot stories. First, the near-octogenarian members of Green Day have released a new song tearing into Donald Trump, cobbling together footage of KKK rallies with Trump talking. Billy Joe Armstrong, 44, warbles, A new day dawning comes without warning, so don't think twice. We live in troubled times. Ooh. Meanwhile, Joss Whedon, the guy behind the mediocre Avengers flicks, jokes about Paul Ryan being raped to death by a rhinoceros. Nicole Kidman had the temerity to say that the president ought to be given a baseline level of support, and Whedon then tweeted out that she was a, quote, puppet for Trump. Broadway's Jennifer Holliday. She was forced out of singing at the inauguration due to death threats. Too bad she didn't lecture Mike Pence at a show or anything, then she'd be a hero. Holliday wasn't the only one ousted from the inauguration over death threats. So is Andrea Bocelli. Steve Harvey. Well, he was labeled a mediocre Negro by Mark Lamont Hill for meeting with Trump over any inner-city community development. And then Hollywood wonders why Americans don't take them seriously on politics. Here's the truth. At least half of Americans feel scorned by Hollywood, and they should, because Hollywood scorns them. When I researched my book, Primetime Propaganda, I spoke with the top creators in Hollywood history. They thought I was a leftist, so they freely admitted to discriminating against conservatives in Hollywood and picturing middle, middle Americans as rubes and racists and treating their shows as propaganda outlets for their viewpoints. No wonder Americans just get sick when they see covers like the one from Variety. Michael Moore posing with the flag. This is the same guy who said that Trump supporters are legal terrorists, but actual terrorists are Minutemen? That makes most Americans queasy. Treating Lena Dunham like a moral voice, despite her ardent love for abortion and her overt bragging about masturbating next to her 11-year-old sister in bed, that sort of nauseates Americans, too. Acting as though Chelsea Handler, a woman who said she should be applauded for her two abortions as a beacon of light, that's pretty disgusting. So, Hollywood, keep it coming. Nothing drives Americans away from leftism, quite like the specter of uber-rich, uber-famous, uber-immoral leftists treating them as direct to be scraped from their shoes. It worked so well for Hillary Clinton, she's creeping around the woods of Chappaqua as Donald Trump becomes the 45th president of the United States. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Yes, we have tons to get to, as always, today. Very exciting show planned for you with a lot of deconstructing of culture coming up near the end, a lot of race talk, lots of stuff going on. But first, we have to say thank you to one of our great sponsors, Birch Gold. So if you're interested in investing in precious metals, then Birch Gold is the way to do it. Birch Gold Group has a long-standing track record of continued success. They have lots of five-star reviews. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. And they have a free information kit on how you can invest in physical precious metals. So it's not just you know them sending you like a, a stock. It's actual physical precious metals. And they have a 16-page comprehensive kit that tells you how to do this, how to protect your savings, how you can move your money out of your IRA or 401k into precious metals uh, without tax consequences. They are the experts at this. Birchgold.com is how to get in touch. Birchgold.com. 
Bloomberg.com slash Ben. And if you're concerned about the future of the economy, and who wouldn't be considering how volatile the economy is and will continue to be, uh, you need to have at least part of your portfolio in precious metals. Birch Gold can help you do that. Ask all your questions at birchgold.com slash Ben, birchgold.com slash Ben, and then they're the people I would trust to invest in precious metals. Okay, so lots going on. We begin today with the continued racial fallout over Donald Trump's inauguration. So the left has to turn everything into a racial issue. It's, it's just imperative for them to do so. And so they continue to trot forward John Lewis, the, the congressman from Georgia and the civil rights hero, to claim that Donald Trump is not really legit. It turns out, and by the way, that John Lewis actually, this is the second inauguration he's boycotting. He also boycotted George W. Bush's inauguration. Uh, is it possible that John Lewis is doing this not because he thinks that Trump is illegitimate, but because he's a leftist and Trump is apparently not? Uh, yeah, that's that's probable. Here's John Lewis explaining not why he's boycotting Trump, but why he loves Obama. No one, no one since Martin Luther King Jr. had inspired me the way that Barack Obama inspired me. OK, so if you think that, then is it any wonder that you want to dump Trump on the side of the road? Is that any shock? And you can see that there is a racial component to a lot of the people who are who hate Trump. And it's not just because Trump is white or anything, but what the, the attempt by the left is to polarize Americans along racial lines. Like Hillary was white, too. Presumably they wouldn't have boycotted her inauguration. But there is an attempt to boycott Trump because they're trying to draw racial lines. They're trying to say, a lot of members of the left black community, they're trying to say that the only legitimate black people are the people who will stand up against Trump and who will not offer him any sort of support or even the or even the possibility of support in the future. Maxine Waters, who is a nutcase congresswoman from out here in California, she's the one who dubbed the L.A. riots the L.A. uprising. Uh, she's wildly incompetent. She is extraordinarily radical on racial matters. She says that Trump should be impeached preemptively. Well, here's what I'm trying to get to. If we discover that Donald Trump or his advocates played a role in helping to devise strategy, if they're the ones who came up with crooked Hillary, if they're the ones who came up with she's ill, something's wrong with her energy, and the way that he uh, basically, you know, described her in the campaign, I think that is something that would Put the question squarely on the table whether or not he should be impeached. Okay, so she's talking about impeachment, and she's not the only one. A lot of Democrats are very upset. A lot of them are getting ready for trouble. Al Sharpton, who is one of the world's great race baiters, a man who was involved in the incitement of riots against Orthodox Jews in Crown Heights in 1991, was involved in incitement of riots against something called Freddy's Fashion Mart that ended with the death of several people in an arson. Uh, Al Sharpton is, is still seen by the left as some sort of racial conciliator, even though he has spent his entire career smearing people falsely with race charges. And now Sharpton is using his platform whatever is left of it, uh, to, to rip on Trump and suggest that he is not a legitimate president either. I think that there's no question that the process that elected him was not legitimate. When you look at the now evidence from the intelligence agencies that there was the influence from the Russians and involved in the public discourse at the time of the election, when you look at those that were expunged from being able to vote, clearly the process has a serious questions about it. 
Okay, so you got Al Sharpton doing this routine. Now, there are some black folks who have met with Trump and have come away saying some relatively nice things about Trump. So Steve Harvey met with Trump. Trump is doing a smart thing. He's inviting a lot of high-profile black folks to the Trump Tower to try and reach out and make overtures and suggest that he's going to make life better for black Americans, not just white Americans who voted for him in the last election cycle. And Jim Brown, of course, came out after meeting with Donald Trump, and he said, listen, Trump won fair, of, fair and square, and I'm going to support him as president of the United States so long as I can. Here's Jim Brown, uh, who met with Trump. Well, I'll tell you, when you win against all odds and you uh, defeat those who were against you and I was for Hillary so I'm one of those who Mr. Trump defeated but he is the president-elect of the United States I'm a citizen I'm not asking him to do everything I'm gonna pitch in and do some of the things that I can do with the like-minded people that I represent and uh, and he's in. Yeah, so there's his perspective. Stephen A. Smith has said something similar, says just because you're giving Donald Trump a chance doesn't mean that you're doing anything racially wrong. When noted comedian and host of the hit show Family Feud, Steve Harvey, exited from a meeting with President elect Donald Trump last week, calling him, quote, a great man, end quote. To say there was a backlash would be a gross understatement. The word coon and sellout was immediately thrown out. His friend and contemporary D.L. Hughley wasn't happy either, aiming his vitriol at Trump instead of Steve Harvey. And of course, it provided the perfect excuse for naysayers to accuse sports greats like Jim Brown and Ray Lewis of being used as photo ops weeks ago. But on a day like today, when we celebrate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., along with his undeniable historical impact, perhaps it's time for all of us to see the big picture to essentially pay more attention to the issues permeating our society, what it'll take to resolve them, and connecting ourselves to who we ultimately can hold accountable, rather than focusing on disdain for that very individual in a position to make a difference, knowing that's not about to get us anywhere. So there are a lot of people who hate Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith actually will speak truth on racial matters far more often than a lot of his compatriots on ESPN. So there's a small cadre of of high-profile black figures who have met with Trump, and this is driving the left batty, just is driving them up a wall. Mark Lamont Hill, uh, he's a frequent guest on Fox News, on CNN all the time, and he's also a professor at Morehouse College, and he was in a debate about Steve Harvey visiting Trump Tower uh, with a member of the of the sort of Trump team. The person he's talking to here uh, is, is a fellow named uh, Bruce Lavelle, I guess, and he's the National Diversity Coalition for Trump Director. Uh, Bruce Lavelle, that's the, the black guy who you will see second from the left there. I think that's Gemma Green, and I can't remember the name of the, uh, the, the anchor here. In any case, the, the only two who matter for this particular conversation uh, are the two on the, on the right-hand side of your screen, uh, and that would be Mark Lamont Hill and, uh, and Bruce Lavelle. And here is them going at it over the fact that Steve Harvey met with Trump. It, it, it was Listen, a bunch of mediocre when, Negroes being dragged in front of TV as a photo op for Donald Trump's exploitative campaign against black people. And you Mark. are. Okay, I, so. How are you going to. So now you want to name call, Mark. Small, no, you better I, jump I, in. Yes, you is, talk. Now you want to name, name, name call. Now you want to name call. Okay, so he calls them, if you missed it, because it was pretty quick there, he calls them mediocre Negroes. And that's what Mark Lamont Hill says there. So here's how this conversation actually went. What happened is that Hill talked about people like Steve Harvey and Jim Brown. He said, to keep bringing comedians and actors and athletes to represent black interests is demeaning. It's disrespectful. It's condescending. Bring some people up there with some expertise, Donald Trump. Don't just bring up people to entertain. And so Bruce Lavelle said, well, you don't even know what they talked about. And Hill said, well, unless Steve Harvey turned into a policy analyst in the behind-the-scenes meeting, 
It doesn't matter whether I was there. My concern is the people he's trumpeting up and putting in front of the cameras. And then after Lavelle said that that was silly, he'll explode. He said, it's a bunch of mediocre Negroes being dragged in front of TV as a photo op for Donald Trump's exploitative campaign against black people. And you are a prime example of that. So Bruce Lavelle is a prime example of a mediocre Negro being dragged in front of TV as a photo op for Donald Trump's exploitative campaign against black people. So a few points to be made on this. Number one, people on the left do not get to complain about Donald Trump meeting with celebrities on political matters. They don't, okay? Hillary's entire campaign was built around celebrities. We showed you that picture from Variety. We can bring that up again. Half the people on this cover were openly campaigning for Hillary Clinton, right? Lena Dunham was openly campaigning for Hillary Clinton. Chelsea Handler was openly campaigning for Hillary Clinton. Michael Moore was a Hillary Clinton fan, even though he was more of a Bernie Sanders guy. The the, the fellow Dixon uh, over here, I believe he campaigned for Hillary Clinton. No problem there for the left. That's totally fine, right? Celebrities campaigning for Democrats, that's totally fine. And, you know, you have Lamont Hill saying that it's just terrible that Trump would meet with all of these black celebrities to push his particular agenda for inner cities. Leonardo DiCaprio was, was invited to the White House by Barack Obama to discuss global warming just back in October. Angelina Jolie came to the White House and talked with Obama about Sarajevo. Angelina Jolie, like the Tomb Raider person, right? Brad Pitt... At the same time that she was meeting with, uh, with, with President Obama, Brad Pitt was talking with Vice President Biden about New Orleans rebuilding. Brad Pitt about New Orleans. Because I guess one time he'd been to New Orleans? No, no one really understands. Okay, during the 2008, Obama actually sought advice on the Middle East from George Clooney. Yes, George Clooney, the guy from Syriana and, and Tomorrowland. Right? And Mark Lamont Hill obviously had no problem with Meryl Streep ripping on Trump. It's also worth noting, by the way, Martin Luther King, during the, during the March on Washington, he reached out to tons of celebrities. Joseph Mankiewicz and Charlton Heston and James Baldwin and Paul Newman and Jackie Robinson and Joan Baez and Bob Dylan and Sammy Davis Jr. and Harry Belafonte and Ruby Dee and Burt Lancaster. If you look at the pictures, it was all celebrities, tons of celebrities. There were some in Selma, many in the March on Washington, and the left was fine with that. So let's not pretend that suddenly they've erected this barrier between celebrity and politics. That's absolute nonsense. The reason Lamont Hill is really pissed is because for the left, the left is the, the entire kind of moral superiority, unearned moral superiority of the left is based on the unsupportable, unsubstantiated belief that they are the sole representatives of minority interests in America, that they stand up for these discreet and insular minorities against the evil American system. And so when there are black people who say, well, you don't stand for me, then they've got a problem because it sort of undermines their own identity. Well, if they can't, re- if they can't represent all black people, then what exactly are they representing? What do they stand for? What if, what if a lot of black people say, well, we don't need your, your help. We're fine. America's a good place. We hope that Trump does well. Well, then they get very, very upset and they get to call people mediocre Negroes. It's funny. Mark Lamont Hill once said that black people are incapable of racism because they don't have the institutional power in order to in order to be responsible for racism. Well, Mark Lamont Hill certainly has the institutional power to be racist against Steve Harvey. Race is not politics. Race is not politics. Just because you're white doesn't mean that you vote because you're white, according to white interests. Just because you're black doesn't mean that you vote because you're black, according to black interests. Sometimes people say, well, if you're Jewish, you're expected to be pro-Israel. Right, because Judaism is an actual religion. Right? Your, your ethnicity is not important to me. Your actual religious practice is. The same thing is not true of your color. Your color, your birthplace, none of that matters when it comes to politics, but the left has to insist that all of that matters when it comes to politics, and so they have to cast out 
all traders from the hall. And that means that, obviously, people like Jim Brown and, and Steve Harvey, they have to be thrown aside because Mark Lamont Hill thinks they're mediocre Negroes. Never mind that Steve Harvey, by the way, has an audience of 4 million people on his radio show every day and is worth about $100 million. He's a mediocre Negro. He's a mediocre Negro, as opposed to Mark Lamont Hill, who snipes at him on CNN. Really quite disgusting. And, and racially charged. And we'll get to more of that in just a second. But first, we have to direct your attention to another podcast that you should subscribe to right now on iTunes or Stitcher or Wondery.com, wherever you listen to podcasts. And that podcast is called Terms. Okay, so this is a drama podcast. That's, that's what it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a podcast that's fictional, uh, and it's really entertaining. I've listened to it. Really exciting, really entertaining. It's a political podcast, sort of a political thriller, really well-produced and interesting to listen to. The basic premise is this. We voted in, America votes in a really controversial president, and the two-term exiting president decides that he wants to do something to stop this guy from taking office. And what ensues from there is really fascinating constitutional crisis, the sort of manipulation that goes on behind the scenes. As somebody who loves politics and as somebody who also loves political fiction, Terms is a great piece of work, and you should definitely take a listen. You can subscribe again at iTunes, Stitcher, Wondery.com, or wherever you listen to the podcasts. Uh, it really is quite addictive. So they bring out these new episodes every Monday, um, and so you can listen to it every Monday as the episodes drop. They've got some back episodes, obviously, available, and you can listen to those and catch up. So iTunes, Stitcher, Wondery, or wherever you listen to podcast. Check it out right now and make sure that you subscribe. Okay, so the Republicans react to all of this, all of this sort of race baiting uh, in the way that you would imagine they would react. Sean Spicer of the RNC, he comes out, he says, look, John Lewis started all of this. You know, all of the left is very upset that Trump is attacking John Lewis. John Lewis is the one who dropped the, the bomb here. It wasn't Trump. Let's talk about the latest battle um, we've just been reporting on between the president-elect and Congressman John Lewis, the president-elect attacking John Lewis's district, his service to this country. We're looking at four days uh, to the run-up of the inauguration. Was this the proper way to handle this for the president-elect? Tamron, I, I, I want to just take it back a step, Tamron, because I think, you know, Congressman Lewis started this with your own Chuck Todd by saying that the election was illegitimate and that President-elect Trump was an illegitimate president. So let's see where it started, which is you have this icon of voting and civil rights, claiming that an election was illegitimate when there is zero evidence of that. Everybody has confirmed that the election was duly held, there was no tampering with anything. And to see somebody of John Lewis's stature, an iconic nature who has worked so hard to enfranchise people and talk about the, getting people involved in our voting systems and, 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 getting, and talking about the integrity of our voting system, to then go out when the candidate of his choice doesn't win and try to talk about the delegitimization of the election is frankly disappointing. Okay, and Sean Spicer is exactly right. Now in a second, we're going to have to break here on Facebook and YouTube. But in a second, we're going to talk about why Sean Spicer and Trump actually gets it right, why Trump is popular with Republicans, and why Marco Rubio actually gets it wrong on John Lewis and Trump, which is something that is you know, not something I usually say. Usually in a fight between Trump and Rubio, I'm going to be on Rubio's side. On this one, I think that Rubio is incorrect. We'll talk about all of that over at DailyWire.com. Go over to DailyWire.com, become a subscriber, $8 a month. If you're an annual subscriber, you still get a free signed copy of my book, True Allegiance. So go over and check it out now. We have a Shapiro store that's going to be coming shortly. We're going to have new goodies. I think we're going to start adding those next week at DailyWire.com for our subscribers. Plus, you can watch the rest of us live. You can watch Clavin live. You can become part of the mailbag, which we do on Thursdays. And as I say, lots more goodies coming for 
subscribers. Dailywire.com to subscribe. Also, listen to us and subscribe to our show at iTunes or SoundCloud. And you can listen to us every day. Make sure that you post a review over at iTunes. Tell them how wonderful we are. Because if you listen, you know that we are. We are the best. So make sure that you check it out. We are the biggest conservative podcast in the United States. So Sean Spicer and Donald Trump, they hit back at Representative John Lewis. And then Marco Rubio says something which I think demonstrates why a lot of people went to Trump instead of to Rubio. Remember, they ran against each other. Why a lot of people liked Trump better than Rubio in the primaries. Here's Rubio's response to Trump's response to John Lewis, John Lewis's response to Trump's election. I have tremendous admiration for Congressman Lewis, not only for what he's done, but what he stands for. And that remains undiminished. Uh, I don't agree with him that President-elect Trump is illegitimate. I believe it's just a legitimate election that he was elected through that electoral process. Um, I, I, I also don't agree with uh, his decision not to attend the inaugural, or it certainly is his right, um, because it's not about President-elect Trump. It's, also, it's, a, it's a peaceful transfer of power, which is a distinguishing characteristic of our republic. That said, um, you know, I, I also had hoped that uh, you know, President-elect would have responded differently, given everything that John Lewis means to our country. But uh, people make their own decisions, uh, and uh, and uh, that's where we stand. But but I that's how I feel about it. It's, it's that sort of tepid response that you get from Rubio at the very end right there. You know, given what John Lewis means to our country, I wish he hadn't responded that way. Most Republicans think, you know what, come on, come on. He said that Trump is illegitimate. He said he's not going to the inauguration. Screw it. You know, like, yeah, he's a civil rights hero. That doesn't mean he wasn't wrong here. And it doesn't mean that he's not wasting time. So, you know, again, that, that sort of kind of milk toast response that you hear from Rubio ignores the fact that so many Republicans are sick and tired of being told that they have to sit down and shut up every time somebody from the left says something and is some sort of icon for, for the left and for Americans, that that means that everything that they say is therefore good and decent and right. The, the left has been playing this unearned moral superiority game for a very long time. They've been, uh, they, they, they create these, these folks who are... Who, some of whom may have actual moral authority on given issues, and some who really don't. And then they say, well, just because they have a moral authority on this particular issue, this means they have moral authority on every issue. Right? They, have, they have unsurpassed moral authority. This is sort of what Maureen Dowd said about the, the widows of 9-11 when they were ripping on George W. Bush. She said, well, they have un, unchallengeable moral superiority. And it's like, no, they, they really don't, actually. The, the question isn't who you are. This is, I think, something that everybody should take to heart. When it comes to argument, the question isn't who you are. The question is what you say. Things do not become more or less legitimate because of the messenger. The message is either true or the message is not true. And in politics, so often we fall into this trap of thinking, okay, well, because Trump said it, that must mean that, it was, that it's bad because Trump is gauche. Or because, because Barack Obama said it, that must mean that it's wrong because he's Barack Obama. No, it's incumbent on you to determine whether the message itself is wrong or right, true or false, regardless of the person who actually delivers the message. It's either true or it's not true. Truth is not dependent on the person who says the truth. Truth is just truth. And we ought to get off our high horses with regard to some of the people who say false things, and then we say, well, they're allowed to say false things because they've experienced X. No, no, you don't get to say false things and stupid things just because you've experienced something. Okay, speaking of which, uh, I have to take a moment and I have to... uh, I have to say something about Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, so this is, this is off topic, but I don't care because it's my show. Neil deGrasse Tyson 
tweeted something out this morning uh, that was particularly insipid and insane. Uh, He tweeted out, quote, In 1927, Charles Lindbergh flew from New York to Paris. Forty-five years later, in 1972, we last walked on the moon. Forty-five years later, in 2017, we, 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 meaning like we haven't done anything in 45 years. Now, when I said before that you shouldn't take people's comments at face value just because of who they are. This definitely applies to Neil deGrasse Tyson. So the guy's an astrophysicist. I'm sure he's very smart. He doesn't demonstrate it on Twitter very often. Um, But he says a lot of stupid things, and people take these stupid things seriously because he says them, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he also, I think this tweet is sort of indicative of the fact that most Americans, it's really funny, if you ask most Americans, when would you prefer to have lived? A lot of Americans will give you different times. A lot of Republicans will say, well, you know, like 1962, Right, 1963. That's when I would have preferred to have lived. And a lot of Democrats will say, I would have lived in 1969. You know, things were so exciting. 1969. The right answer, folks, and there is an objective right answer, is now. Right? They, really, like, things have never been better in the United States than they are now. Like, they, we have our problems, for sure. We do. We have some very serious problems here in the United States. But just in terms of material well-being, in terms of comfort, in terms of the, the life that you lead, there is no better place to live than the United States in 2017. Not on planet Earth, not ever. Okay, Because the fact is that we as a country have essentially defeated extreme poverty. We as a country have essentially defeated disease up to the point where you're so old that you sort of die of old age. It's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And so when Neil deGrasse Tyson, we all have this, it's, it's, it's really funny. If you look at polls of Americans on crime, most Americans for the last 30 years have said they think crime is going up year over year. In the last couple of years, crime has gone up, particularly murder. Murder has gone up. Violent crime has gone up in the last couple of years. But until then, we saw a prolonged drop from 1990 to 2010 in the violent crime rate. doesn't matter. Every single year, Americans said that crime was rising. The same thing holds true in the economy. If you ask Americans, is the economy better or worse than it was last year? Except for like 2009, 2010, right after the crash, most Americans are constantly saying, well, the economy is kind of tepid. The economy is kind of eh. Okay, the reality is, the reality is that things have gone pretty well. Hey, I don't think they've gone well on racial matters under President Obama, but I think that just in material terms, in, terms, in technological terms, America's a pretty freaking great place to live. America's pretty spectacular, and a lot of the myths you hear about the middle class disappearing are not actually true. We'll talk about that tomorrow, because I want to do an in-depth plumbing of this, of this lie that's told constantly that the middle class in the United States is disappearing. It's used by Donald Trump as an excuse for trade barriers. It's used by Bernie Sanders as an excuse for redistributionism. The middle class is not actually disappearing, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. But I want to talk about some of the progress we've made over the last 45 years. So I know you were not used to optimism here on Ben Shapiro show. I know that's not our stock in trade. Usually we're the doom and gloom sayers, because realistically speaking, there's a lot that goes on in the world that's bad. And when you're talking politics, politics is about the things that are wrong. But over the last 45 years, things have gotten pretty freaking spectacular. And Neil deGrasse Tyson doesn't know what he's talking about. So here are just a few of the developments over the last 45 years that demonstrate that Neil deGrasse Tyson is totally full of it after, after this tweet, right? This, in 1927, Lindbergh flew from New York to Paris. 45 years later, we last walked on the moon. 45 years later, we haven't done anything. Yeah, horse crap. Okay, 45 years later, we actually have a fully manned space station. Like, there are always people living in space, always. We have probes on Mars. We sent a spacecraft to an asteroid. It landed on an asteroid. (laughs) It's a pretty amazing thing. We also have this giant magical system that allows you to gather information literally with a click. It used to be, I'm old enough to remember before the internet, when you actually, when you did a book report, you had to go to the library, and you had to go through the Dewey Decimal System, and you had to take a bunch of books out, and then you had to scan through the books and look for the information that you wanted. And it took forever. 
It took forever. It was really time-consuming. And the information that you could gather was limited by the number of books in the library. Today, in the, today on planet Earth, there are more books published in a year on planet Earth thanks to the Internet than have been published in the entire span of human history up to this year. Seriously, that's how many books get published every year. That's how much information is added to the system, which is why we all live longer, happier lives. Because with more information in the system, that means there's better health information, there's better, there's better information on how to live a happier life, even if we don't take advantage of it as we should. The internet is an unbelievable system. Imagine in 1972, people saying, okay, you're never going to have to go to the library again. You're never going to have to call information. You're literally going to be able to sit down at a machine, type in any question that's not a meaning of life question, and you're going to get an informational answer. That's a well-substantiated informational answer. Okay, in 2013, they did a paper, University of Michigan. They found a web search takes, on average, seven minutes. If the corresponding offline search would take 22 minutes. Okay, that's if you were sitting in the library. That doesn't count the time to go back and forth to the library, or if the library doesn't have the answer. And that's if you're really slow with Google, by the way. Seven minutes to get an answer on Google is really slow. Okay, it takes me about 30 seconds. I'm really good at Google. Okay, if you, so, so that's an amazing development. And by the way, a development that doesn't actually count in the GDP. One of the things that one of the reasons why people think the GDP has stagnated, that American growth has stagnated, that middle income, median incomes have stagnated, is because if you are able to search things more quickly on the internet, that doesn't show up in your income statistics. If you're able to do things faster and enjoy more leisure time, that doesn't show up in your income statistics. It's an unmeasurable. That's why GDP is actually not a very good measure of your ability to to live a happier life. Actually, income isn't even a very good measure of your ability to live a happier life. Consumption is a better measure of your ability to live a happier life, considering there's a huge swath of the population in the United States that consumes more than it produces. Another thing that's just amazing, you have a machine in your pocket right now that is allowing you to listen to this show or watch a movie or call almost literally every person on the planet. And I really mean that even in poor countries, even in devastatingly poor countries, the vast, 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 vast majority of people have cell phones. Even in poor countries, penetration rates of cell phone subscriptions are unbelievable. Nine in 10, right? There's, there's nine subscriptions per 10 inhabitants. Nine cell phone, really, this is, this is true. You talk about global poverty being alleviated. There are nine cell phone subscriptions for every 10 inhabitants in poor countries as of 2014. More people around the world have cell phones right now than have had landlines in the entire history of the planet. As of 2014, there were nearly 7 billion cell phone subscriptions on planet Earth. doesn't mean everybody has a cell phone. Some people have two. But it does mean that the vast majority of people do have a cell phone. The global extreme poverty rate has been sliced in half. According to the World Bank, the number of people living in extreme global poverty fell under 10% for the first time in, in 2015. So less than 1 in 10 people around the world are living in what they call extreme global poverty. That's a reduction of 75% in extreme global poverty in the last 25 years. In America, by the way, we've completely solved extreme poverty, essentially. It, whenever you say that people in America are poor, whenever you hear people say things like people are dying on the streets in America, it's just not true. Here's the actual statistic from Pew Research. More than half of Americans, 56%, are high income by the global standard. Another 32% are, middle, are upper middle income by global standards. Nine in 10 Americans, in other words, have a standard of living above that of the global middle income standard. So poor people in America live better than middle income people other places. Only 7% of people in the United States were middle income. 3% were low income. 2% were actually poor. Only 2% of Americans are poor by global standards, which is virtually nobody. Life expectancy has increased dramatically over the last 45 years. In 1972, life expectancy in the United States was 71 years old. Today, it's nearly 80. 
That's almost a decade of increase in the last 45 years in life expectancy. Infant mortality in the early 70s was at about 20 deaths per 1,000 live births, which is crazy high, right? I mean, that means that two out of every 100 live births, the kid would die. Today, infant mortality is at six per 1,000 live births. We've sliced it by two-thirds, and that's still too high. We can get it down further. Crime has dropped dramatically, as I mentioned. From 1970 to 1990, you're actually more likely to be victimized by a violent crime than to be injured in a car accident. Today, burglary has plummeted by 80%, robbery by 80%, homicide by 80% from 1990 to 2009. Pollution has plummeted for all the people on the left who are deeply worried about the environment. Pollution has plummeted by 36%. Sorry, the, the American population grew 36% between 1970 and 2000. Energy consumption increased 45%. Air pollutants decreased 30%, 29%. That includes a 98% drop in lead emissions. Yeah, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You're living in the greatest country on the face of the planet in the best time to live in the history of humanity. And yet Neil deGrasse Tyson doesn't understand what progress looks like because the reality is that we are stuck in this system. Human beings are just stuck in the system where we are always looking at all of the things we think are bad in the universe when the reality is that things are pretty good. Things are pretty good. Now the question becomes, why did things get good and why, why do we insist on dismantling all of that? Why do we want to destroy all of that? Because the left is interested in taking... The, the driving forces behind that massive increase in wealth, that massive increase in life expectancy, and just destroying it, just killing it. Right? I thought that the health system in America is terrible. Well, if it's so terrible, why did the life expectancy increase by a decade over the last 40 years? But, you know, we're going to chip away at those foundations because it's more important that politicians win. And for politicians to win, they have to declare that today sucks, right? Then they can declare today sucks, tomorrow is going to be better. Well, if today's pretty good, then we might have to look at why today is good, and what brought us to the fact that today is good? What made today good? How did we get to this good today? Then we'd actually have to look at what works and embrace what works rather than tearing down the system with both hands. Okay, meanwhile, speaking of tearing down the system with both hands, uh, Barack Obama is, is leaving. And one of the reasons that I'm so happy to see him go is because Barack Obama has been an utter liar when it comes to the, the forces at work in our democracy that are really undermining our democracy. He's been a purveyor of this, of, of this great lie in the United States that he's made race relations better, that the world, is, is, that the world generally uh, is not on fire in terms of foreign policy, uh, and, and that has not been a boon for the United States. We've actually created these two separate realities that are really kind of horrifying. Uh, in, on the one side, you have people getting their news from right-wing outlets. On the other side, you have them getting it from left-wing outlets. We've reached the point in America where if I quote CNN, people on my own side say, how dare you quote CNN, even if it's something verifiable and true. And on the other side, if you quote Daily Wire, then a lot of people on the other side will just dismiss it out of hand as fake news. That's a real problem. Barack Obama has actually contributed to that. Nonetheless, Barack Obama is, is lamenting the rise of fake news. Here's what he had to say. Look, this last election, you had the political system. Well, first of all, people elected somebody who went around saying that the system was rigged. Yeah. You had two of the most unpopular presidential candidates selected by the two parties in history. Yeah. Doesn't that say something's wrong? Something serious is wrong? It indicates that the corrosive nature of everything from talk radio to fake news to negative advertising um, has made people lack confidence in a lot of our existing institutions. Okay, we can stop right there. Maybe think- what made us lack confidence in our existing institutions is you. Or is that possible? Talk radio... Listen, there are a lot of people on talk radio who have talked up things 
that I think are, are a waste of time. But that does not mean that Barack Obama hasn't talked down things. Like, he's talking about fake news destroying democracy, how Americans don't have faith in their institutions. I'll show you why Americans don't have faith in their institutions. Here's the White House Chief of Staff, Dennis McDonough, who used to carry Obama's luggage. Literally, that was his job. And now he's the White House Chief of Staff talking about how wonderful Obama's been. The thing I'm most proud of, Jake, is an administration now acknowledging that we still have six days left or five days left. Um, that has uh, been historically free of scandal. Uh, and I think that's important. And Obama's ripping fake news. Stop it, right there. I mean, just to name a few, the EPA scandal, the HHS scandal, the VA scandal, the Benghazi scandal, the IRS scandal. Right? Those are just off the top of my head. And it goes on and on. I wrote an entire book about this. Go check it out on Amazon, The People versus Barack Obama. I go through the entire litany of scandals that have plagued the Obama administration. And then Obama sits there talking about how fake news is destroying democracy. Maybe it's you lying to the American people that's destroying democracy. And that's driven a lot of people insane. You know, a lot of people say that, that Trump gaslights people because he says things that are false that are eminently true. You know, that he says false things that can be disproved, but he continues to maintain them. Obama did the same thing. Let's not pretend that Obama wasn't a purveyor of fake news. Obama was a huge purveyor of fake news. Remember, in 2012, he was saying that Mitt Romney wanted the, the, the foreign policy of the 1980s. Remember that in 2012, it was Barack Obama's VP saying that Mitt Romney wanted to put y'all back in chains to black people. You want to talk about fake news? Here's Barack Obama on the Syrian red line. Right, which has been a disaster and, and led to a, a, a virtual genocide in Syria. If you're putting all the weight on that particular phrase, then in terms of how it was interpreted in Washington, I think you, you make a legitimate point. I've got to tell you, though, I don't regret at all saying that if I saw Bashir al-Assad using chemical weapons on his people, that that would change my assessments in terms of what we were or were not willing to do in Syria. But you didn't and say that, that. Well, you said you said you drew the red line. I, I, look, I, I don't want to make too big a deal out of it. But I, understand. I think that. But, but I, would but, you but, think that that but, was? Could no, you, would you take it back if you no. had the opportunity to take it back? The reason I'm hesitating is not to be defensive. It, it's simply, Steve, that I would have, I think, made a bigger mistake if I had said, yeah. Chemical weapons, uh, that doesn't really change my calculus. I, right I think it was. That's exactly what he said. Right? He said chemical weapons change my calculation. And then he proceeded to say chemical weapons don't change my calculation at all. Hand it over to Vlad. And then he wonders why Americans lose faith in their democracy, maybe because their politicians keep lying to them. And the reason that Trump is popular right now, the reason that Trump won, is because at least he's obvious in his lies. At least when Trump says stuff, at least when Trump, you know, say, you know he's saying whatever he thinks, however silly it may be. Right? Donald Trump is an absolutely transparent person. He, he really is. I mean, he, for, for, for a guy who obfuscates the truth on a constant basis, he, he's obvious in that, right? He's, he, what makes con men charming in the movies is that you know they're con men. What makes Trump somewhat charming in real life is you know that he's playing this game. Okay, Donald Trump isn't fibbing to you. He's not lying to you when he says silliness like, he literally said this today. He said that, Germany is a great car producer, but there's not enough reciprocity. Germans are not buying Chevys at the same rate as Americans are buying Mercedes-Benzes. So it's an unfair one-way street. Okay, that's, that's literally one of the ten stupidest things I've ever heard. But I know that he's not lying to me, at least. I know that's what he thinks, because nobody in their rational mind would say something that stupid about, because they're lying. Right? Trump, Trump says the truth even when he's fibbing. Even when he's fibbing, <laughs> which is oxymoronic, but it's, it's sort of true. Even when, even when he's fibbing. People, I think Selena Zito's line about Trump is, is probably correct, that people take Trump seriously, but not literally. 
And even when he's fibbing, they think that there's a grain of truth to it. As opposed to Obama, who even when he's telling the truth, they think there's a grain of fib to it. Okay, time for some stuff I like, and then some stuff I hate, and then we'll deconstruct the culture a little bit. So, things I like. Let's do it. So, my daughter's new favorite book was given to her by my sister. Uh, It's uh, by Brad Meltzer, children's book. And it's called I Am George Washington. And it's really terrific. Uh, It goes through George Washington's entire life in very short order fashion. Uh, And my daughter, she just turned, she's about to turn three next week. uh, And she is just obsessed with this book. It's a lot of fun to read. It's really informative. Um, And there's a whole series of these. There's one for Martin Luther King. There's one for Lincoln. And I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of them. Brad Meltzer uh, started off as a, uh, Brad Meltzer started off as um, a thriller writer. He now writes for comic books as well. Um, But uh, like, just as an example of the page, you know, he talks about, how um, how he was the fourth of nine children, and it's it's done in kind of comic book fashion. He goes through the entire in the entire book. Uh, it's kind of little George Washington. If you can't see the pictures, it's kind of George Washington as a child, but he's, he remains a child for the entire book. Um, but it's uh, but it's really well done and interesting and very patriotic and and quite wonderful for kids. Uh, I'm a big fan of teaching kids to be patriotic from an extraordinarily young age, which is why my daughter uh, has already seen 1776, uh, the movie. Uh, and uh, this is another piece that you can add to the puzzle. I am George Washington. You can get it on Amazon. Really, really good little book. Okay, uh, other things that I like. So, uh, Bill Maher is uh, uh, Bill Maher came out yesterday, and and Maher is is emerging as sort of a voice of reason a little bit on some issues. So I, I think that Maher on religion is still um, really devastatingly ignorant. Um, I think that he's, he's said some smart things in the past about radical Islam. He's, he at least has the intellectual honesty to acknowledge the differences between radical Islam and Christianity, which a lot of people on the left don't. Um, but he says that he is worried about what Trump could do. Uh, and uh, he says that Trump lives for vengeance, which I think is true. I mean, Trump has basically said that himself. Um, and then he talks about how he is concerned that the left is becoming more insular. He, he talked about Meryl Streep's Golden Globe speech. He said, liberals are talking to themselves, which they're very good at doing, and it really doesn't accomplish much. And I think that that's really true. I think the left, if they, if they want to make converts, or at least if they want to have a conversation, they're going to have to acknowledge there is another side to this debate. Instead of shouting down people who go to speak at college campuses or determining that people shouldn't be given slots on TV or that their books shouldn't be published, the best thing to do is just debunk it. If you don't like what Trump is doing, tell the truth. The reason that Trump thrives, one of the reasons Trump thrives, is because everybody does this overreach routine with Trump. You call him a Nazi, you call him Hitler, you say that he's a a racist slave owner, you say that he's the the worst person who ever lived, and it makes it very difficult to take you seriously. You tell the truth about Trump, and we can actually have a conversation in the realm of fact. And so I think that uh, what Maher says there is smart and right, whether the left takes advantage of it, is is another story. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So... Planned Parenthood has now put out a, um, a series of videos called Hashtag I Defy. Um, and uh, they're honoring the anniversary of Roe v. Wade with these videos. And so they want to describe to the administration what you defy about their restrictions on your body and your access to health care and all the other restrictions that Trump is planning. They're going to defy you. They shall resist. They shall resist. So here's a, one of these videos. Uh, We'll take as an example, I defy, I defy the abortion stigma. Can we do the abortion one first? Be ready for some feels. Abortion is not a four-letter word or something that we shouldn't be talking about. It's a medical procedure. People who think that abortion should be illegal are more likely to think that nobody that they know has ever had one or ever will. You probably do. 
Okay, so first of all, it is not actually true that one in three women have had an abortion uh, during their lifetime. That is not actually true. Those statistics uh, are, are not quite right. So according to PolitiFact, okay, and I'll quote, this is a lefty source, so this should work. An estimated 1.1 million abortions were performed in 2011. That's down from four, nearly 14% from 2008. Um, and there's no good evidence that one in three women will have an abortion uh, by the age of 45. The problem is that, uh, so apparently, this is according to PolitiFact, the post story explains that the purpose of the 2011 Guttmacher report was to update older estimates that 43% of women of reproductive age would have an abortion by age 45. The abortion rate had declined, and so they looked at the study, and what they finally concluded, as far as, uh, as, far as PolitiFact, um, is that... Um, this, the statement's a bit misleading because the statistic is based on extrapolations from 2008 data analyzed by the Guttmacher Institute. Abortion rates have generally declined, so it's possible that such reflection, this, this doesn't actually reflect reality. So it doesn't, it doesn't actually have the important qualifications. Um, there, yes, there are lots of abortions that take place in the country, but the idea that of every three women that you know, one of them had an abortion, uh, that, is, that is highly unlikely. The, the numbers are probably lower than that. But beyond that, should there be a stigma to abortion? Yes, just because something is prevalent and common doesn't make it good or right. What are you defying exactly? You're defying the stereotype that killing babies is wrong? Like it turns out that, that killing babies is wrong, and whether a lot of people do it or not is completely irrelevant. Lots of people do lots of immoral things. So what? It turns out that lots of fathers knock up women and then, wa- and then run away. That's extraordinarily prominent. It's very prevalent. It happens a lot. Does that mean it's okay? If I said one in three fathers will abandon their child... Therefore, there shouldn't be a stigma. One of the things I hate most is this argument that popularity makes right. You heard this a lot during the election cycle. Well, if, some, if a lot of people like it, it must be good. No. A lot of people like Justin Bieber. Okay, that doesn't make good. But th- this is one of the things the left wants to push. Okay, more of the I defy. So the, the, the Planned Parenthood puts out all these things. So here's another one. I defy whitewashing. Finally, emojis represent the fact that not all of us are the complexion of sand. Now, every time I clap, it's my hands clapping. Blackest Russian emoji. I can give you the brown girl painting her fingernails. Yeah! Uh, what? Uh, what? So what are you defying exactly? Just, just confused. You're happy that someone put a new emoji on Twitter, and you're defying what now? Also, maybe the reason that the original emojis were white is because most of the people in the United States are white. Just going to put that out there. Maybe they were doing it by statistical basis. And I'm glad that now you feel better about your life because there's a black emoji. But And when you do a clap emoji, now there are black hands to clap. But if this is what was separating you from happiness in the first place, I'm going to suggest that you need some significant mental treatment. If what was separating you before was that every time you used a clap emoji, it was white hands or yellow hands, as the case may be on Twitter... Uh, then I'm going to go with you're a person with serious problems. Okay, final one. They say, I defy expectations. I am a bisexual male. Bisexuality exists. It is not your job to sift through all of my thoughts and then verify my bisexual status. It is your job to hear me say the sentence, I am a bisexual man, and for you to go, okay. Well, maybe you shouldn't tell me what my job is, first of all. Like, I'm not sure you have one. But I'm not sure why it's my job to do anything. Like, it can turn out that I can watch you on this, and I can think, when you say, I'm a bisexual man, and I'm sitting here shirtless, I can just think, you're an idiot. Maybe that's my first thought. Maybe it's not okay. Maybe it's your dumbass. You know, it's possible as well. First of all, I'm not sure, like, who's sitting around going, who's sitting around going, he's not bisexual. He's not really bisexual. 
I mean, other than uh, other than some folks who would say he's not actually bisexual, he's actually gay and just wants to deny that he's gay. But like, I don't care whether he's bisexual. I assume he's telling the truth. Why is he defying anything? But again, this is what the left does. They, they, they make it out that American society is a group of John Lithgow's who are trying to stop Kevin Bacon from dancing. And only they can defy the expectations. And I'm sorry, like that's, no one cares about you. No one cares about your clap emojis. Nobody cares about your stupid video about how you're bisexual. No one cares what you do in the privacy of your own bedroom. If you're getting in my face and telling me you're bisexual, my first question is not, are you really bisexual? It's why do I care? Why does this matter in my life? But this is what Planned Parenthood does. They're creating the perception that Donald Trump actually gives a crap whether someone's bisexual. Okay, Donald Trump does not care whether anyone's bisexual. His wife did lesbian photo shoots. Okay, Donald Trump is the last person in America who's going to care whether you declare yourself a bisexual on a Planned Parenthood video. Just putting that out. Okay, time for some deconstructing the culture. Let's do some of that. Okay, so this week, instead of analyzing a top 40 song, I just want to go through some of these stories that, uh, that have come out from Hollywood. Because Hollywood, as we mentioned at the top of the show, they've demonstrated full well that they are going to use the power of the culture to assault Donald Trump. And then these are the same people who claimed for years that if you said that Hollywood was leftist, then that was just terrible. How could you say Hollywood was leftist? That's just awful. How could you stereotype Hollywood that way? But as soon as Trump is president, then all of a sudden they can come out of the closet and demonstrate that they're as left as they want to be. We begin today with Green Day. So Green Day has released a new song. Uh, when was the last time Green Day had a good song? In 1945? <laughs> right? I think Green Day's, Green Day's last good song came out uh, around the time of Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy by the Andrews Sister. Um, and uh, every member, of, uh, every an- member of, the, of the Green Day band is now about Bernie Sanders' age. Um, they've released a new song to protest Donald Trump, to which I- I'm sure Donald Trump is very upset. I'm sure he won't actually take the oath of office uh, in a couple of days. He'll, he'll probably just go home and cry because Green Day doesn't like him. Um, so here is, here is their silly little ditty. the American flag turning into the swastika. They like actually have the stars of the American flag turning into the swastika. They've got pictures of the KKK. They've got Donald Trump speaking behind barbed wire as though Donald Trump is going to kill us all and he's going to imprison all the black folks and he's going to throw all the gay folks into some sort of gulag. This sort of stuff is really over the top and it's really disgusting. And it also demonstrates that a lot of folks on the left don't feel like it's ever going to impact their career uh, to push leftism. And so whenever you see people in, in Variety or in Hollywood Reporter talk about how brave the people on the left are in Hollywood, they're just so brave for speaking out. Let me explain something. The people who are actually brave in Hollywood are the people on the right who speak out and lose jobs because of it. And they actually do lose jobs because of it. I know this because I've talked to them. And I've talked to the people who actually cost them their jobs. Right? I know people who have said, it's on tape, you can find it on YouTube. Vin Debona said... Uh, and you can find this. Just search Vindabona Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro. Vindabona is the guy behind America's Funniest Home Videos. He actually said openly to me that he would prevent a conservative from being hired. 
But the brave people are all the people in Hollywood, uh, the, the Green Day, who, who just run crap about Donald Trump and Republicans and conservatives and how Donald Trump is going to take away the women's vote. And what absolute stupidity. I mean, look at these images. You've got, you've got every vote is going in the trash. And then pictures of Donald Trump as some horrible monster with, uh, with straw hair. And, uh, and it's just, again, you wonder why the, the, the discourse is so polarized and so stupid. And it's because of this sort of stuff. And Barack Obama, I'm sure, would, would love this song. I'm sure the people on the left would, would really enjoy this song because at the same time they're decrying fake news, they, they fail to acknowledge that there's, an, there's a severe concerted attempt by people on the left to undermine at least half the country. And Joss Whedon is another example of this. Here's Joss Whedon's tweet as the, the Avengers guy. Uh, he made Firefly, which is good, and then he made The Avengers, which uh, I'm, I'm alone in believing this, but I think The Avengers series is actually kind of crappy. Um, but here's what Joss Whedon tweeted. He tweeted, violence solves nothing. I want a rhino to F Speaker Ryan to death with its horn. I want it to F Speaker Ryan to death with its horn because it's funny. That's what the tweet actually said from Joss Whedon. Imagine for a second that there had been some sort of, that Clint Eastwood had said, I would like to see a rhinoceros F to death Barack Obama with his horn because it's funny. You know, same exact situation. You think that he would have gotten away with it, or do you think Clint Eastwood would have met the entire backlash of Hollywood? Of course he would have met the entire backlash of Hollywood. Joss Whedon will get another multi-million dollar contract to, to do a, another overblown, mediocre superhero film. And the same thing is true for, for all, of these, all of these folks on the left. Who are pro- Meryl Streep, was, she was a hero now. She's a, what a great heroine. Because she, it, listen, here's the deal. In order for you to be a hero, you have to overcome some sort of obstacle or undergo some sort of risk. She didn't. I'll tell you who actually took it on the nose in all this is Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman had said that she, uh, she was willing to give Trump a shot, basically. And now she's been forced to back off of this. She's been forced to, to say that her Trump support isn't really supportive of Trump because it pissed off too many people in Hollywood. There has been the big headline, Nicole Kidman supports Donald Trump. I mean, I was trying to stress that I believe in democracy and the American Constitution, and it was that simple. Major backlash on social media after the BBC interview spawned headlines. You think it kind of got played out of hand that people were misconstruing what you were saying? I'm just, I'm out of it now. I'm just, that, that's what I said, and it's that, it's that simple. Okay, so now she's out of it, right? So she said something perfectly decent and fine, and now she's completely out of it because if you even stick your head up above the waterline and you're even remotely not wildly leftist, that means you lose your career. So when we talk about the culture and why the culture pushes to the left, once the mask is off, you can see it in all of its grandeur and all of its glory. Um, But you wonder why Americans are looking at Hollywood and saying, we're not going to take your advice on politics. Maybe it's because these are the most intolerant people in America, are the people who live in Hollywood and determine nobody else should have the opportunity to speak, lest they be boycotted and their, their careers destroyed and they be cudgeled back into the closet of decency. Okay, so that brings us to the end of today's show. Tomorrow, I want to go through, uh, I want to take a little bit of time and talk about the middle class. Is the middle class disappearing? We'll go through some actual facts about that because facts are the only basis from which we can draw good solutions. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free 
should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 